Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. We didn't, uh, there was no handshake. No handshake, we're keeping that. Um, hey, can we just thank, well, I wanna say this first, uh, because sometimes we clap and we don't think about why we clap. Have uh, you ever been in church and thought, why are we doing this right now? Uh, just me? Okay. Um, so we don't sometimes maybe realize how unique our situation is as a church. Um, only in South Texas would you sell barbecue and fun church plants in India, you know? But really that comes because of your generosity, but it starts with the heart of our senior pastors. And we have senior pastors who are not just concerned with what happens inside these walls. And furthermore, not just concerned with what happens in our communities, but what is happening around the globe and fulfilling the Great Commission when Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so if we could just thank our senior pastors really quick for that heart that they have. Amen. It starts with them. So let's pray and let's jump into the word. Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the chance to be here. And we thank you that we're part of a church that is missional, that is concerned with what you're doing across the globe and not just with what you wanna do in our house. Because what we understand, God, is that every time that we invest into what's happening around the globe, we are investing into eternity. And we understand that when we invest in missions efforts, God, that we are investing in saying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we understand that your word says, God, that Jesus is not coming back until everybody's had the opportunity to hear about him. So when we fund unreached people groups, hearing the the message of Jesus for the first time, never even heard the name of Jesus, when when we go eat in the missions cafe to fund efforts like that, God, what we're doing is we're saying, we're gonna fulfill what you've called us to fulfill so that people can have the chance to know Jesus and so that your kingdom can come and you will be done on earth as it is in heaven so that Jesus can come. We thank you for the opportunity to partner with that. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming today. Pastor Don, thank you for allowing me the privilege and the honor to do this. We are in a series called Digging Deep, and it's all about uh, finding new life in old wells. And so as I was kind of thinking about this sermon, um, I was remembering this tree and I was running one day. How many of you are from New Braunfels? Who's from New Braunfels? Yeah? Who's, who does not live in New Braunfels? Okay. I said that wrong. Who lives in New Braunfels? Okay, okay. So that, I said from New Braunfels, and yeah, we're very literal about that. I appreciate it. Uh, it's usually about 50-50 or maybe like 60-40, somewhere around there in our church of who is in New Braunfels, who is not. Um, but I was uh, in New Braunfels in Landa Park and I was running one day and I, I really genuinely felt like um, God had told me or instructed me or prompted me. People say God told them to do things. Sometimes it's just a feeling. I had this feeling like I need to go and this is going to sound really weird and you don't tell this to your friends after it's over because they look at you differently and they judge you. Uh, But I just felt like I was supposed to go look at this tree 
And uh, I told my wife, because she has to look at me the same, but I didn't tell anybody else because it was just like, that's weird, you know? But I stood there and I looked at this tree and it's this tree in New Braunfels called Founders Oak. And I, I took a photo of it. And this tree, they estimate that it is about 319 years old. They say it was probably a sapling in the year 1700. And as I began to look at this tree, I really felt like the Holy Spirit began to just pull some things up on the inside of me. And I began to think of the years that this tree has seen. Have you ever thought of that when you looked at an old house or something like, man, you know how many people have lived in this house over the years? Well, this tree, if you think about it, 319 years. I mean, we have to put it into perspective because it's difficult for us to understand. This tree, it was, when it, when it was a, like a sapling, it was sitting in the middle of what they believed to have been a Native American campground at that time, which is now Landa Park. And they actually believe that, you can see it's all bent over. It's got supports that hold it up. If I were to show you a larger photo of it, there are other supports that are holding it up because it's bent over. And they actually believe that potentially the reason it's like that is because the Native Americans would signal uh, which way they went or which direction to go by pulling a tree down, a, a small sapling like that, and bending it. And so over the years, this tree has seen centuries of change. I mean, think about it for a second. Since 1700, we've seen the Declaration of Independence. We've seen the Emancipation Proclamation. We've seen World War I, World War II, the automobile changing our lives, the light bulb changing our lives. We've seen the Cold War. We've seen a man walking on the moon. We've seen 9-11 happen. All of these things have happened over the course of this 319 years. And what struck me was this. Here I am today, standing in the shade of this tree that 100 years ago, other people were standing in the shade of. And who would have known 319 years ago that this small little sapling would grow to be this tree that still today people would walk through Landa Park and there's pavement now and there's lights right by it and all of these things and they would stand in the shade of that tree. And it reminded me of this quote and there's, this quote is an anonymous quote. People say it's an anonymous Greek proverb, but I think people do that to make things sound smart because they actually just read it on somebody's Instagram, you know? Like you don't know where it came from. Don't make it up. You got it off a of Tumblr. So it says this, a society grows great when old, man, when old men plant trees in whose shade they know they shall never sit. Let me read that again. It says, society grows great when old men plant trees in whose shade they know they shall never sit. I wonder if you've ever considered what kind of trees you're planting. I wonder if you've ever considered what you're doing today that will outlast you. You know, the, the foundational scripture of this series is Genesis 26, uh, verse 18. And it says this, it says, Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father, Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. And really what we see here is that Abraham didn't dig a tree for a future generation. He, he, he didn't plant a tree for a future generation. He dug a well. And Abraham was a very blessed man. And as you can imagine, if you lived in the ancient Middle East, if you had a well and that type of a climate, that was a very important thing to have control of a water source. And so Abraham dug these wells. And when he died, Pastor Don has explained this to us 
explained this to us in the series. His enemies around him, the Philistine people group, came and they threw dirt in the wells. And he had set these wells up to be a blessing to his future generations that would come after him. Now, this is important because part of Abraham's future generations, his lineage, Jesus Christ himself, comes through that lineage. And so understanding that Abraham is setting up future generations for blessing, and really it's going to bless us in the end, but these people throw dirt in these wells. And you know, Isaac takes the initiative to uncover them, to get, to get them flowing again, basically, and to get it to where they can be used. And as I began to think about this, and Pastor Don has talked about this, you know, you begin to realize that I, Abraham dug some natural wells so that they could have natural water. But Isaac, I mean, uh, you know what? I just need to restart. Uh, can I be real with you right now? I went to the coffee shop over there and I drank two shots of straight espresso. And my body is like, I love this. Uh, so that's why I had a little moment there with that. Uh, if you want to try it, I guarantee you it's a good time. So um, that was where that, that's what happened with my brain for a second right there. So Abraham dug these natural wells, but our responsibility is to dig spiritual wells for future generations. That's what we have to do. And what I love about our church is that we have a history and a heritage of digging spiritual wells for future generations. It's really evident if you just look around because you'll see there are parents with their kids. But if you look a little further, you'll see parents with their kids who are adults and with their grandkids right there. You'll see three generations. It's very common to see at our church. In fact, in my family, that's a really common thing to see here at Tree of Life. You know, some other examples are when Tree of Life first began, there was a, a young teenage kid. Uh, he was the first drummer ever at Tree of Life Church, and he barely knew what he was doing. And they let him try, and they let him learn, and they let him grow. And do you know that that young teenage kid grew up to spearhead global missions efforts? That's what he's done with his adult life. Another great example of that is Pastor Don. He's sitting right here. When he was in middle school, this church was founded by his parents. But they passed on a heritage and a legacy of faith. And so here we are today being led into the future of where our church is going by a second generation. I consider myself an example of that. I came to New Braunfels in 2002. I was in middle school. A couple years later, I started leading worship in kids and youth services here at our church. And people just let me grow and they let me take chances. And Pastor Don let me take a lot of chances and he probably cleaned up a lot of messes. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, I was in Mexico and Pastor Jeff, uh, our pastor down at Arbol de Vida, his wife, Sylvia, she told me, you know, we used to teach a Sunday school class in the room right next to you whenever you were in like middle school or ninth grade. And you would sound check. And every week I would tell my husband, I would say, Jeff, somebody needs to tell that kid that he can't sing and he's got to stop. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that nobody told me that. But you know, she has the relational capital to say that with me. I just, I want you to know that. But that's a product of generational influence. Here's the thing about a heritage, though. A heritage is great, but what we have to understand is that if we don't intentionally perpetuate that heritage, it can be lost in as little as a generation. I mean, it's really simple if you just think about it in terms of money. If you received an inheritance from your parents, you are perfectly capable of spending it all. 
and not leaving anything for your kids. It's the same thing with a spiritual heritage. In fact, in the Bible, there's a very, very explicit example of this in Judges chapter two, verses six through seven, and then verse 10. Let me give you a little bit of background. Joshua had led the people of Israel into the promised land. These are people who had seen the Jordan River part. It stopped at a town called Adam, and the rest of the water just flowed all the way to the Dead Sea. And they walked across on dry ground. They marched around the walls of Jericho. And on the, on the seventh time around, on the seventh day, the walls fell down so that they could take the city. These people had watched when Joshua prayed, God, we're in the middle of this battle. We need more time. And he prayed that the sun would stand still. And the Bible says that the sun stood still in the sky. They had seen all of these things, but listen to this. It says, after Joshua had sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. This means they had had a meeting and he was sending them out to take possession of the land God had promised each of their tribes. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. After that generation died, it says in verse 10, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Now understand that Joshua was a little bit older than the generation that possessed the land, that came in and actually conquered and took the land. So you're looking at, I would consider Joshua's generation, Joshua and Caleb, and then this generation that conquered the land. And so this is probably like the third generation here that has forgotten what God has done for them. And it's so interesting because these people that came before them had seen God do all these miraculous things, but somewhere along the line, somebody dropped the ball and they did not present it to the next generation. And I believe that we have to really understand and internalize this truth that we can, as a church, possess all of God's blessings that he has for us and fail to invest them in the next generation. It is possible that you and I could sit in these seats every Sunday, could read our Bible every day of the week, could minister to people in our small group and at our jobs, but fail to invest those same truths and teachings and the very power of God into the next generation. It is possible that the coming generation could not know Jesus because we enjoyed our blessings, but like someone who received an inheritance, we spent it all instead of passing it on to our kids. And you may say, well, I don't have any kids. That doesn't matter. You know, it's not really talking just about your kids. There is a concept in scripture of being a spiritual father or a spiritual mother and passing on spiritual things. How many of you know that there were coaches in your life or teachers in your life who passed on life lessons to you that had no blood relation to you? And if I could just say this, so many people in my generation and the generation that has come after me are searching for a father figure, searching for a mother figure, and you could be that person. And so we have to understand the reality that we could enjoy all of God's blessings and fail to invest those blessings in the next generation. And just like we see with the children of Israel, we could literally see our sons and daughters, the future generations, begin to not serve God. And I want to draw something, I want to pull something to your attention today. Number one, I believe the enemy sees transitional points and generations as an opportunity to attack. It's a natural attack point to wait for the transition and the generational leadership. And you can actually see it happening if you go back to Abraham. Abraham passes away, so the Philistines throw dirt in the wells because they don't think that another leader, his son, will do anything about it. 
And it's interesting because the Philistines were the culture around Abraham. And Pastor Don has talked about this. But then when you go in Judges chapter two and you look at verse 12, it says that when this new generation after Joshua rose up that didn't know the Lord, it says that they began to worship the gods of the people around them. Again, you see a generational leadership transition and you see that the people around them are influencing them. And here's the truth that I think that we need to take from that is wherever there is a void in leadership or an investment in the next generation, culture will fill the gap for us. The enemy will use culture to fill that gap. And and I would say this, I think there are so many people in my generation and the generation behind me that aren't in the church, but they're hungry for the things of God. The problem is they weren't taught where to find it, so they're looking in culture for it. They're looking every other place. They're worshiping the gods of the people around them. Whether it's a different religion or whether it's just money or careers or whatever it may be or social media, whatever it is, they're searching for it somewhere else. Sometimes I think too, if I could be honest, I think we as a church tend to muddy the waters. And maybe what we've done is we've allowed cultural Christianity and a religious mindset to throw dirt in a well. So they don't feel like they can access all that God has for them because they don't fit. And I think the thing we have to think about there is that this generation is a generation that is not looking for just religion. They are looking for relationship and the very power of God. I used to see this as a problem. I used to see that maybe people in my generation were just falling away from God. But after looking at statistics and kind of thinking about it and talking about it, I'm actually beginning to see this as an opportunity. Because I think that they're more of a blank slate than we've ever realized. It's not that they go to church once a month and they think that they're living the Christian life because of that. It's that they're saying, I don't want anything to do with it if it's not real. I don't want anything to do with it if it's just a religious performance. I don't want anything to do with it if it's fake. And I don't know about you, but all I know is that Jesus targeted people like that. Jesus targeted people who didn't fit the cultural religious context, but who said they wanted to see the power of God and the love that God has for them. And we have an opportunity today to take a blank slate of the coming generations and not to teach them about cultural Christianity and religious mindsets, but to teach them about the real Jesus who really died for them, who really loves for them, who who really loves them, the real Holy Spirit whose power can work through them. It's less of a problem and more of an opportunity. So here's what I'd say today to you is that maybe what we need to consider is how we can be part of the solution. We have the chance to reach a new generation and I believe that Psalm 145 verse four holds the key to this solution. It says this, it says, let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts and let them proclaim your power. Now that sounds extremely simple. It sounds too good to be true. It sounds too easy. But really what it's saying is this, Teach them about all that God's done for you and train them in God's power. Show them what God has done. Remember what happened with the people and judges is they didn't acknowledge the Lord or the mighty things that he had done. It's really just simply saying, here's what God's done for me. Here's what God's done in in my family. If you want to break it down to a simpler level, all it's saying is disciple the next generation. 
Sometimes I think what happens is we are asking God for a revival and he's sitting in heaven and he's saying, I asked you to make disciples. Sometimes we're asking God, God, just begin a move. And God said, I commissioned you to move. I asked you to make disciples of all nations. I asked you to sit down with people and to train them. The easiest way to understand discipleship is this. Jesus got 12 guys and he took them with them he took them with him through his journey, through his ministry, through his daily life. And he didn't always teach them explicitly. Sometimes he just showed them what it looked like. Sometimes we get so wrapped up about discipleship and we worry if we can do something like that. But really, I think that Paul summed it up best when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You know what the beautiful thing about the coming generations is, is that while they always look for perfection on social media, which is kind of funny, they really don't want to see your perfection. They want to see your progress. They want to know that you're real. And so you don't have to be perfect to make disciples. All you have to do is take them on your journey and show them your progress. You know, another thing that you may think is, well, I'm not qualified to do that because I'm not a pastor or a teacher or a preacher. When Jesus told the disciples, go and make other disciples, you have to understand that he was talking to people who were fishermen, who were tax collectors, who worked regular jobs. And when I think back at my life, I can look back and say this, the man that led me to Jesus was not a pastor on staff at my church. He was a custodian on staff at my church. And he was working in children's ministry and he gave a call. You know, when I was about nine years old, I was living in San Diego, California, and there was this, uh, I think it was a Wednesday night prayer meeting. And as a good church kid, I sometimes got dragged into the prayer meeting. You know what I mean? And there was a man named Ernie Orderica, and Ernie ran the Wednesday night prayer meeting. And Ernie was praying, and he prayed for me one day. And um, he was a middle-aged man, and he prayed for me, and he had this word of encouragement. We would call it a word of prophecy for me. I've lived by that word to the best of my ability. Really, from when I was nine, it stuck inside of me. When I was a teenager, it started to click inside of me what that meant and what he was talking about. Ernie wasn't a pastor on our staff. Ernie wasn't a teacher on our staff. Ernie was a lawyer. Working a regular job, he had probably done something that day at work and then come to lead a prayer meeting that night. But he invested in me. You don't have to be a pastor or a teacher or a church staff member to invest in someone. You know, maybe for you, investing in the next generation just looks like this. There's that, that person at your work that's a couple decades younger than you, and you just invite them to lunch with the people you would normally go to lunch with. And you just ask them about their world. Or maybe you're part of a group here at Tree. I believe everybody should be part of a group. That's what we do here at our church. And maybe you just invite a younger person in the church to be a part of your group. Or maybe for you, it's, you know, you serve on a team here at Tree. Maybe you serve in first contact in the parking lot, or maybe you serve in the kitchen or whatever that may be. And there's a teenager or a young person who serves alongside of you. And maybe what it looks like is just every time that you serve on the same Sunday, just saying something simple like, hey, you know what? I just want to let you know, it inspires me to see a young person who cares so much about the things of God. You're beginning to invest. You're beginning to plant trees and to water some growth. And you'll never sit in the shade of it, maybe. Maybe you will. But you're beginning to invest in those people. You're qualified to disciple. You're qualified to invest. 
And more than that, we need you to do it. So I want to highlight something really quick. There's another story about a well in the Bible. Pastor Don began praying about this uh, series. And when we were in 21 days of prayer in August, he began talking about this scripture. And this other well in the Bible popped up. And it was actually a well that Isaac's son, so Abraham was Isaac's dad. Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob dug this well. And it's in John chapter four, and I'm not gonna go through the entire text of it, but I'd encourage you to read this story because it's really powerful. But at the time that Jesus was alive, this well that Jacob had dug was located in Samaria. And the Samaritan people and the Jewish people were a very divided people. There was a cultural divide, there was a religious divide, and there was a racial divide. And the Bible says that Jesus was traveling back to Galilee, the area that he was from, and he had to go through Samaria. So he stopped and sat down at this well that Jacob had dug. And he sits down in Samaritan territory, a Jewish man, two cultures at odds with each other, two ethnic groups at odds with each other, two religious groups at odds with each other. And he sits down and there's a woman, a Samaritan woman there at the well. And when she is sitting there, Jesus says, hey, I would like a drink from you. Now you have to understand that because of these three barriers, the cultural, the religious, and the ethnic barrier, this lady is already taken aback. But there was another barrier in that day. And that was that a man, a Jewish man, should not have been sitting there by himself talking to a woman at that time and place in history. And so Jesus breaks this barrier. And I believe that he gives us a pattern for how to invest in the next generation. And I want to show you this today. There's four things that you can do. And they're very, very simple. The first thing is this, meet them at their well. Meet them at their well. If you notice the first thing about the scripture is that Jesus didn't say, hey, I want a Samaritan person to meet me at my well in my territory. Jesus walked into territory that was different than his, territory that was taboo in his culture, territory that there was a racial divide, an ethnic divide, a cultural divide, a religious divide. And he sat down and met this woman at her well, not at his. Sometimes what we have to do is we have to cross the cultural divide of the generation. And this goes both ways. I will say this to the young people today. If you want to gain from the wisdom of the generation that has gone before you, you're going to have to cross their barrier too. You're going to have to get into their world and explore their world. But we have to cross into other people's territory. And their well may look like a coffee shop instead of the place that you would like to meet or Their well may look like a restaurant that you don't like. Their well may be more challenging for you. It may look like music that you don't like to listen to. A style of dress that you're like, I would have never let my kid leave the house wearing that. And you're an adult. What are you doing, you know? It could be that it's a vocabulary that you're not used to hearing in church. But sometimes it just takes us crossing into their territory and sitting at their well so that we can show them who Jesus is. That's the reason why at our church, I love this about our church, we always say that we're multi-generational and multicultural. So when you came today, the first song we sang was a gospel song. The second song that we sang uh, was an older song. The third song that we sang had Spanish in it because that's what we do at our church. We cross those lines. So we have to sit there well and we can't expect them to come to ours. And I would just say this, 
It is so much easier for me personally to just say, hey, I wish you would come to church. But Jesus didn't say, get them to come to church. He said, go and make disciples. And so we just have to go to where they are and we have to engage them. It could like, look like your lunch break at work. It could look like so many things, but we have to go find them where they're at. The second thing that Jesus did that I think is really powerful is he identified her needs. So we have to identify their needs. And what Jesus did is he began to talk with her and he identified her needs by talking with her about her life. In fact, in one portion, he said, I want you to go and get your husband. And the lady was like, uh, I'm not actually married. And she was really dancing around. You know, she was like, I'm going to tell part of the truth because I'm kind of embarrassed right now. And Jesus just called her out and he said, I'm sure in a loving way, but I'm sure it was still awkward. He said, you know, actually, I knew that. I know you've had five husbands. You're on your sixth man and you're actually not married to him. And he identified her need. But what he also did was he went past the surface level of her need and he identified the root of her need. And what we have to do is we have to be willing to sit at their well and to listen for long enough to hear what the surface of their need is in the natural. And then once we've heard that in the natural, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, help me to identify what's below the surface of this need. I'm so bad about just wanting to give advice all the time. But sometimes we just have to listen to what they're saying and then listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying and understand what's at the root. I have a friend who buys stuff like crazy. And you can tell if you're on the outside looking in that he's buying things to find fulfillment. But he can't see the root. Or maybe he doesn't want to see it. We have to identify their need. And then the third thing is, we have to just point them to Jesus. Because here's the deal. I cannot fathom what it was like to grow up in the Cold War era. It wasn't my generation. I can't imagine being nine years old and being told, get under the desk, we're doing a drill. I can't imagine that for anything other than a tornado. And in the same way, you might think, well, I can't imagine what it's like to be in this generation. I mean, it's just more complex. The problems are different than the ones that I have. But you know what? I would say this to you. In an increasingly complex world, in a world where you may feel foreign and like you can't relate, Jesus probably felt some of that same feeling towards this lady, and she certainly felt it towards him. That he can't relate to my context and my culture. He doesn't know what it's like to grow up as a woman in a culture where women are not looked upon well. He doesn't know what it's like to grow up in a culture where there's racial tension and we're on the wrong side of it. But what happened is he told her about the solution himself. In a culture where problems are increasingly complex and difficult to relate to, here's what we need to know. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so you may not be able to understand everything they're going through, but you do know the answer. And you do know the Holy Spirit. And you know how he can help. And the fourth and final thing I, I think we see here is that, again, this cultural divide, this gender divide, this racial divide, this religious divide, it would have been easy for Jesus to think he had nothing to offer this woman. My challenge to you is this. Don't believe the lie that you have nothing to give. And that could come in a lot of ways. You may think, well, I'm too young to give anything. Well, Jeremiah tried that excuse. He was a prophet when God called him in Jeremiah chapter one. He said, I am too young and I can't do this. And God had a really specific answer and it was really simple. He said, do not say I am too young. 
And I think you could take out the word young and you could just fill in the blank. Do not say, I don't have kids, so I can't invest in the next generation. Don't say, I haven't known Jesus long enough. Don't say, I don't know my Bible well enough. And maybe you would say this too. You would say, well, actually, it's not kind of the opposite. I, I think I'm too old for them to even listen to me. Well, the Bible has an answer for that too. In fact, in Psalm 71, verses 17 through 18, it says, since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds. This is somebody who is older. We actually don't know who wrote this, but they're older and they have walked with God for a long time. And listen to this. It says, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Now, doesn't that sound like Psalm 145, verse four? Let each generation tell its children of your power. And here's the thing that we can draw from that. This prayer is actually uh, my favorite. And one of the translations of the Bible, the heading for this Psalm, it just says the prayer of an old man. I'm like, that was the least creative title of all time. But this is the prayer of an older person. And they're not saying, God, let me live so that I can enjoy life. Let me live so that I can enjoy retirement. They're saying, let me live so that I can invest in the next generation. And here's what this teaches me. If you're still breathing today, you have something to invest in my generation. If you're still breathing today, you have something to give to the next generation. So I challenge you with this today. Meet them at their well. If you're older, meet the younger generation at their well. If you're younger, you're going to need some of the wisdom that the older generation has. Meet them at their well. Number two, identify their needs. Listen to them, really listen to them, and then listen to the Holy Spirit so he can show you what the core need is at the root of it. Number three, make sure that you point them to Jesus. He's always the answer, always has been, always will be. The package may look different, but the product is still the same. And number four, and finally, don't ever believe the lie that you have nothing left to give. So in these closing moments, I would ask you to do something for me. Maybe you have a notepad. Maybe you have a phone. Pull out your notes, whatever you're using to take notes. Maybe you're using the app. And I'm going to ask you to write down three questions, and I would ask you to consider them throughout the week. I'd ask you to just think about them every once in a while. Maybe every time you see a tree. Here's the first question. What will you plant that will outlive you? What will you plant that will outlive you? When you plant a tree, it bears fruit or seed of some kind. The beautiful thing about that, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm not an expert on trees, but I bet you that that oak tree, since it's still alive, is still reproducing in Landa Park. What you leave behind can continue to reproduce. What will you plant that will outlive you? Number two, what will you dig that will outlast you. It takes work to invest in the next generation. What will you dig that will outlast you? And finally, the last question is this. If not you, then who? If you won't invest, who will invest? Who will God send, like he said to that prophet Isaiah? Who will go for him? If not you, then who? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the chance and the opportunity to worship you. We thank you for the chance to not just enjoy your blessings, but to invest 
that into the next generation. We thank you, God, that you have, like you said to Esther, placed us here for such a time as this. Like you told Jeremiah, we can't say that we're too young. Like the psalmist noted in Psalm 71, we also can't say that we're too old. And like Jesus showed us, we can't say that there's a racial divide or an ethnic barrier or a cultural divide or a religious barrier or a gender gap. We can't say those things because God, you've called us to go and make disciples of all people to the ends of the earth. And so Father, may it be our prayer and our commitment that we would not just pray for revival, but that we would intentionally make disciples. Show us the opportunities to pour into the people around us, specifically the next generation. And God, help us to meet them at their well. Help us to identify their needs. God, help us to point them to Jesus and help us to never believe the lie that we have nothing left to give. If we have your word, if we have your spirit, we always have something to pour. Father, we thank you for the chance to invest, to plant a tree that we may never sit under the shade of, but to understand that the eternal benefit and reward is greater than anything that we could have invested in the here and now. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas, or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.